Awesome. Hey, my name's Nathan, if we haven't met yet. And uh, Jim Bob's letting me preach because he's at the beach this week. Hey, Eddie. Lucky him. Uh, no, no. I used to get up on stage once a month, but my title, a job changed, I guess, a little bit. And so now I just get up here every now and then. Week two of Antenna. Um, we're really excited about this. The, uh, the book that this passage come from, comes from is Romans. And a few years ago, I think it was more than a few years ago. It might have been way back in like 2013 or 14. We preached through the book of Romans. And um, it took a long time. And we're going to be trying to summarize it in just the month of June in this passage that we're given. But before we get into that, I want to introduce you guys. Um, I want to start the sermon off talking about uh, frogs. So this first frog here um, is known as uh, the horn, the Amazon horned frog. Can you guys see that frog? It's pretty good at camouflage. It uses its camouflage to hide. No, that's not the right one. Back, 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 back. There we go. The Amazon horned frog. The Amazon horned frog is good at camouflage, and it uses its camouflage to hide from its predators. And, and so the article that I pulled this from, um, from the Daily Mail, says, even in pictures, the Amazon horned mouth Oh, sorry, the Amazon horned frog, which has a mouth wider than the length of its body, is hard to spot thanks to its patterned skin, but closer look reveals the frog is indeed in the frame. It's right there. That's the Amazon horned frog. Um, I have another frog. There we go. Uh, that frog's different. That's known as a poison dart frog, and it's from a whole family of frogs. And um, the poison dart frog has a cousin, or this one has a cousin, named the golden dart because of its golden color, and it's known as the most poisonous animal in the world. If you took the poison from one golden dart frog, it could kill 10 people. I don't know how they figured that out. Um, seems complicated, but... These two frogs take care of staying safe differently. Um, we have one that, that uses camouflage and the other that uses poison. Um, the camouflage is used to, to keep it um, to where it can't be seen, right? It blends in with its surroundings so that it doesn't stand out, that it doesn't draw attention. Um, whereas the poison dart frog lets you know, here I am, I'm a frog. And I don't think you get more frog than that frog. That might be the epitome of frog. And it looks, I picked this picture, because it looks proud of the fact that it's a frog. <laughs> Whereas the, the Amazon horn frog seems a little bit ashamed and it hides in the leaves. So the title of this sermon is Be Different. We want to be different. We're going to see today why we should be different. And then next week, uh, because of the way that the weeks are broken up, we'll see how to be different. So this week is uh, why we should be different, and next week is how we should be different. So let's get into the text. This is uh, Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to read from the ESV. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, 
that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Be different. So the first thing I think you should ask, we didn't cover this last week because Jim Bob was so uh, excited about being a living sacrifice, Um, but I think the first thing that you should ask when you read this passage is it starts with, I appeal to you, therefore, and if you've ever taken an English class, you should always ask, what is the therefore, therefore, right? Therefore means that it is proceeding something important, something that frames the statement, something that gives purpose for why Paul is saying what he does. The book of Romans is a little bit different. If you start in the New Testament or if you're reading through the Bible with us right now, uh, we're in the Old Testament still. It's a little bit different because Paul is a little bit different. Martin Luther, uh, who began the Protestant Reformation, he's quoted to say this. He says, this epistle, this letter from Paul, is really the chief part of the New Testament and is truly the purest gospel. It is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart, but also that he should occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. We can never read it or ponder over it too much, for the more we deal with it, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes." We did uh, the book of Romans a few years ago, and we tried to do a chapter a week, and that was so difficult. At the time, our sermons were a little bit longer. If you guys have joined us since COVID, COVID shortened our sermons a little bit. They tended to be around the 30-minute mark, some of them 45 minutes. You can't put a chapter of Romans in a 30, 45-minute sermon. So we had to pick and choose as we went through. It's a dense book. There's a lot there. Um, John MacArthur, the pastor, In his introduction to Romans, he breaks it down this way. He says, the overarching theme of Romans is the righteousness that comes from God, the glorious truth that God justifies guilty, condemned sinners by grace alone through Christ alone. That God justifies condemned sinners. That's me and you. We're guilty by grace alone through faith alone. In the book, we see Paul give his version of the gospel, and that lasts from chapters 1 through 11. And in those 11 chapters, he talks about things uh, like God's wrath against sinful mankind, principles of divine judgment, the universality of sin, like we're all sinners fallen from grace, um, the principle of his divine judgment, um, the, the security of our salvation, the fact that Adam's sin was transferred to us, sanctification, a sovereign election, like all these things are covered in Romans 1 through 11. And then 12 through 16 details the practical outworkings in the lives of individual believers and the life of the whole church. So we're falling right between those two sections, the gospel according to Paul and how that should affect our life. That's what the therefore is there for. And he gets so excited as he gets to the end of chapter 11, his response to the gospel and it being so good, he breaks out in what is almost a song. We don't have the tapes that go along with the Bible, so we don't know the tune, um, but it reads like this, Romans eleven thirty-three through 36. This is the end of chapter 11. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible It is for us to understand his decision and his ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? 
And who knows enough to give him advice? And who can give him so much that he needs to pay it back? For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. That's Paul's response to salvation through Christ alone, by Christ alone. And then he says, I, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. And Romans 12 starts our response to everything that God's done up to this point. So last week, Jim Bob dealt with Romans 12, chapter 1, and that is for us to be a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice. That's what everyone would have thought when they read sacrifice. Right? We're reading through the Old Testament right now as a church, and we're reading about all these rules and laws and all these animals and grains and things that have to be killed and then burned up. That's a dead sacrifice. Around this same time, he's writing to the Romans, and Rome is a pagan nation, and they're very familiar with sacrifice, both of animals and, and vegetables and fruits and people. They know what a dead sacrifice is. But Paul talks about this living sacrifice, not something that's offered to God once, but something that's offered to God continually. That's our response. We offer our lives as living sacrifices, continually offered in service to God. And then he makes this statement that we're going to focus on today. Uh, Do not conform to this world. So we're going to break that apart. We're going to talk about the two things. First, he says, do not conform. Back whenever I was in college, taking psychology, we learned about a guy named Solomon Ash, I think, Dr. Solomon Ash. In the 1950s, he did a series of experiments, and he wanted to know the strengths of social pressure. So what he did was, from my understanding, remembering back from college, um, he would have these two cards, and on one card was um, a line, and on the other card were three or four lines. They were all the same length. And he just, he, he had his, his volunteers, and he asked them, um, this line on this card, which one is it similar to? And the correct answer was all of them. Um, but before the volunteer answered, there were seven other volunteers who were in on the research. And they all answered with the same answer, that one of the lines of the three on the second card was definitely different, and different in a way that made it the same as the, as the first card. Does that make sense? This card, one line, matches one of the three lines on this card. And he found that 75% of the time, the volunteer, when asked, after hearing seven people all agree that one line was different, they would answer that that line was different too, 75% of the time. And he didn't have the technology at the time in the 1950s, but he wondered from this research, was the person who went along with the group, right, who, who succumbed to the social pressure, uh, were they, did they know they were wrong and they were just agreeing to it to be part of the group? Or did their perception somehow change so that they saw that one line as being different? Well, in 2005, Gregory Burns, a neuroscientist, applied modern technology to answer that question. He had a very similar setup to what happened there, uh, but he had the volunteer answer the questions while in an MRI, measuring their brain. And so if they knew 
that there were no differences, but that they were going to answer along with the crowd, then we would expect to see the area of their brain that lights up during uh, conflict or decision-making or confrontation. Um, but that if they didn't know that they were wrong, some other part of the brain... Oh, some other part of the brain would light up. And what they found was when asked the question, they saw slightly different results. They saw 40 to 50% of the time that person uh, would fall in line with the crowd. But when they did, the part of their, their brain that lit up was actually the spatial recognition part of their brain. They were actually perceiving reality differently because of the answers of the people that had gone before them, the volunteers who were in on the experiment. Conformity is a very strong social pressure, right? We are social creatures. We want to be part of society. We cooperate with those around us. And so we have this desire to be similar or to be the same. Paul's telling us not to conform. So just in case you didn't know, Paul lived almost 2,000 years ago. He didn't speak English. The Bible wasn't written in English. It was translated. And the word that Paul uses there is Greek. And the Greek word for conform is, I'll probably butcher this, sishimatizo. Sishimatizo. And that word only appears twice in all of Scripture. Once here in Romans, and then again in Peter's first letter that he writes. We find it in Peter uh, 1 verses 13 through 15. Therefore, preparing your mind for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, he's, he's also talking about the salvation. And then in 14, he says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your formal, former ignorance, but as he who calls you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Paul, Peter's saying, be different, right? You're not the same person that you used to be. In response to everything that's happened, be different. The word here that's used, this Greek word, is like being forced into a mold or wearing a mask. Ultimately, it's being something that you weren't meant to be forcing yourself to act in a way that you weren't created to act. It is not an expression of your inmost being when you conform. Paul, in his second letter to the Corinthians, tells us that we are now a new creation, a new person. Your old life is gone. You're living a new life, a Christ life. Christ is growing inside of you. You're becoming more and more what God created and planned for you to be since the beginning. So I know conformity is a two-edged sword. Like I said, we're social creatures. We want to be part of a group. We want to be accepted. We want to cooperate. So conformity is a two-edged sword. Yeah. Okay, that was a moment. In many ways, conformity is part of our nature. But the issue here is not conformity. Paul's issue is what we are conforming to. He says, conforming to this world. Do not conform to this world. Some translations say the patterns of this world. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. Um, but again, I think the Greek word there is translated a little bit um, 
I think it might be helpful to look at where else it appears in Scripture. The Greek word there is aeon, and it's where we get our word age. It shows up in Paul's other letters. In his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 20, he says, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? That's the same word, aeon, that we're translating in Romans as the world. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And in his second letter to the Corinthians, using the same word, it says, um, chapter 4, verse 4, Satan, who is the God of this world, that's the same word there, aeon, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the, the exact likeness of God. Satan is not a God of this world. He's a ruler of this age. He is allowed to rule for this time. And so that's what Paul is saying here. Don't conform to the standards, to the patterns, to the things that you see around you in society today, in this age. So then the question is, well, what are those patterns, right? What what are we trying to not conform to? And um, I hate to say it, but I think it's pretty obvious. I think if you really looked down deep in your heart, you would know of what Paul is talking about. It happened from the very beginning. If we go all the way back to the book of Genesis, and the very first sin, the sin of disobedience, we see in Genesis 3, 6, that the woman, that's Eve, saw that the tree was good for food, that it was delightful to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. That's the first time someone conformed to the patterns of this world. She saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasing to her eye, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Peter talks about it in his letter as as we have the lust of the flesh, the desires that our body has. We have the lust of the eye, uh, 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 jealousy and wanting things that other people have. And we have the pride of life, the things that we earn, the things that we achieve, the wisdom that we have gained. This might ruffle some feathers this morning, but I think it needs to be said, just think about this for a second. Just because we have a desire inside of us doesn't make that thing good. Just because we have a desire inside of us does not make that thing good. Oftentimes, it's the exact opposite. Those desires that that arise from our flesh are the opposite of what God intended us to be, the opposite of the way God intended us to live, the opposite of the plan that he has for our life. Gandhi recognized it, Mahatma Gandhi. He summarized it this way. These are his seven deadly sins. He says, wealth without work, pleasure without conscience, science without humanity, knowledge without character, politics without principle, commerce without morality, and religion without sacrifice. Paul has a list in his letter to the Galatians 
Most of us, if you've heard of chapter Galatians chapter 5, it's because of the fruit of the Spirit. But before he gives the fruit of the Spirit, he gives the rotten fruit, the anti-fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, 19 to 21, he says, Now the works of the flesh, that's the things that we used, that we used to do before we were created new, they're evident, they're obvious. Just look at the world around you. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. They're obvious. Be different. In conclusion, Molly, if you haven't met my wife, you should. Um, She's teaching me to be a parent. I'll just say it, guys. I'm admitting it. Molly's teaching me to be a parent. And one of the things that that I do uh, often, and she points out, is I am really good at telling the kids what not to do. Right? And that's what Paul's doing right here. Do not conform. He's telling you what not to do. And the reason is, whenever I say stop yelling or don't touch that, what are they thinking about? They're thinking about yelling and touching that thing. They don't connect the don't. And I'm not saying that you guys are like children. We are. And I'm not saying that this is parenting, because it's not. And so that's why we're framing it. Be different. We'll see next week about like what it is to be different and how that happens. Chimbob, of course, he gets the fun one, being transformed by the renewal of your mind. And that transformation is the same Greek word that we get, our word metamorphosis. When the caterpillar becomes the butterfly, the thing that was always meant to be, that's how we keep from conforming. But I just want to encourage you guys this week to to look at the world around us because the world around us is not the way that we are supposed to be living. It's just not. The things that are popular are not the things that we should be ascribing our life to or aspiring to. It's just not. We're God's people. We're called to be different by the one who created us and knows what's best for us. So let's think about that this week. Let's be different. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your word, the story that you're telling, that you empathize with our struggle, that we're not alone in the desires that we have, but that we have a creator who came to live on earth as one of us, the ultimate example of a living sacrifice to pave the way for us. And so we just pray that you give us the strength, the strength to not conform to this world. We pray that you take away those evil desires, that you give us the power through your blood to be different, and that you use each and every one of our lives as a witness to you and your salvation. Because there is no drug that can give us purpose. There is no person that can give us purpose. There is no amount of money that can give us purpose. 
only you. We give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys stand up and let's sing.